This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Happy day to you. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you. I'm in the studio with Pastor Will Franco, campus pastor at Tri-Village Church in Streamwood, about... I think it's like seven minutes away from Village Church. Yeah, Does that feel right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Will is with us all week long. And uh, you cannot call him Bill for short because <laughs> his actual first name is Wilfredo. Did I get the Did I get the R right? You got yeah. it. Wilfredo. That's that, that really good. Yeah. How do you say it in Cuba? Uh, Wilfredo. And, uh, I can't do that. And 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 and, and <laughs> if you're a little guy, like if there's smaller versions, so yeah. there's there's Wilfredo's my dad. So I'm Wilfredito. So anything that you're small yeah. and the smaller version. If there's a girl, you add ITA. If it's a boy, you add ITO. Yeah, a Cuban friend of mine. So you'd, you'd, you'd be Michael Lito. You'd be Michael Lito. Well, he calls me Miguelito. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he's, yeah. he's actually really loud. <laughs> so he's always like, Miguelito, Miguelito. Like all the time. You, you're actually pretty Hispanic because you're late a lot yeah. and you're really good at rolling your R's. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you might be Hispanic, man. Like, I, I'll give you an honorary yeah. Hispanic. Thanks, man. Hey, in the thing. sun of this summer when I tan, it's it's for real. I can't wait. Let me be clear. I can't wait. Um, so your name is not Bill. Your name is Will. And, uh, uh, with one L. Is that correct, Will? Yes, sir. Not two. We have you all week long. And uh, when we invite pastors in, we want our church to get to know them, get to know their church, get to know their heart a little bit. We've heard a bit about your story yesterday, your dad coming in the boat from Cuba. Um, and so we, we get to hear a little bit about um, just some of your um, thoughts and passions on racial diversity in the church, and especially coming um, uh, from a Cuban and Puerto Rican background, pastoring a church in Streamwood, which has its own level of diversity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so today the question is, how do you develop a leader? Because in church world, uh, if you don't have leaders, then you get a couple people doing everything. Yep. And this is one of the most important questions that we can possibly ask. And actually few businesses know how to develop leaders. And mm-hmm. in, in the business world, you get a bunch of clones who basically do a job. They're managers. They're not being creative. They're not creating, um, in, they're not innovating. They're just doing what they're supposed to to be doing, Mm -hmm. just the whole value of pulling out, drawing, and developing leadership. In fact, uh, on some levels, the church seems to be doing an incredible job with leadership development and philosophy that um, a lot of organizations could really benefit Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. So we talk about um, Tri-Village Church, and you have a leadership history from Wheaton Bible. Mm -hmm. So you have paradigms, experiences, systems put into place. You were developed as a leader, which brought you to this place. So let's go back. How were you developed? And then let's talk about how you've used some of those experiences develop to develop your own leadership development philosophy. Yeah. Well, actually I turned, so I'm 31 now. So I turned 30 last year. You're basically almost dead. Yeah, I know. You're it's like all, an it's, old man. It's pretty much over. You gray right? hairs like <laughs> it's everywhere. It's pretty much over. It's pretty yeah. much over. But at my 30th party, I had all the men who had played a role in making me the man I was mm-hmm. up to that point. And so I invited all of them and I stood them up in front of my whole family and friends. And I thanked each one of them for the, for how they had invested in my life. So one of them was my dad. One of them was my father-in-law. One of them was this guy from Campus Crusade. And then my two former pastors or three of my former pastors. And so I sat, I stood each of these men up and just thanked them for how the role they had played in my life. And it was interesting that the one theme I saw in each one of their lives was the time that they spent with me one-on-one. For a season of my life, that man was the man I went to for everything, you know? And they just sat down with me. They loved on me. And it was interesting that my dad grew me as a, as a man, like an inner man, how to manage a household. He grew me as a man. And then one of them grew me in my preaching. What I realized, I noticed two things. One was the time they spent with me. But the other thing was I could almost put each one of them in a category. Like yeah. this person helped me grow particularly in this area as mm-hmm. a husband or as a pastor or as a, you know, as a friend. So I realized that those are the, the theme I saw, that there's no such thing as just one 
person you look up to and learn from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think we should we can learn from everybody. And the one way you develop a leader, you just can't make up for time. Like time has to happen if you're gonna actually yep. develop someone to be a leader. That's awesome. So at Wheaton Bible, what were some of the things that they did for you personally? Yeah. To be a, a campus pastor of a mega church at their mega, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, technically uh-huh. a definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two thousand above is I think yeah. technically mm-hmm. the mega church number. So their mega church to be thirty years old, a campus pastor to be given uh especially in a campus that isn't a video venue, you have live teaching and right. preaching, which is most large churches, they'll give guys in their late twenties early 30s video venue campus pastor roles but to give you teaching roles Mm -hmm. that is actually hard for a lot of mega church boomer pastors to do which that's no dig on anybody it's just a very hard thing for that generation of pastors in that context in the mega church world to do that's a big risk so like what do they do how do they test you how did they um, grow you how did they know you were ready for to be there you're their first church player right first one because in any church i'm going to be straight your first one determines the success or failure of that determines your ability to ever do it again for the next 10 years. Amen. This fails their church planning strategies, like slow down exponentially, yes. no pressure at all. You know? Right, 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 yeah. right. But you know that it's not, not that's not a new concept right. for you. So like, right. what do they do to test you, to prepare you, to grow you, to equip you for this? I was under Hannibal Rodriguez, who's the, who's the senior pastor of uh, Iglesia del Pueblo. That is an amazing name. Right. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's actually Anibal in Spanish. The H doesn't exist, but he had to add an H when he came here because white people kept calling him Anvil or Hannibal, like, so like he added the H so that people yeah. so it's a help. So now does he get Hannibal Lecter jokes <laughs> yeah, all the time? Now, he, he, uh, he, now he's a serial killer. <laughs> right now he's a serial killer. So he didn't make it any better, but he had a huge impact on my life. Mm-hmm. Like he's always been the type to tell me where I I need to grow. He's never been scared to do that. He never gave me authority before I was ready. Like mm-hmm. he didn't let me preach in their congregation until he felt I was ready to preach in their congregation. But it was a lot of just time together. Just uh, I can go and ask any questions, but he would also show up and ask me questions and say, hey, what, what's going on here? And how are you doing this? And how are you growing here? So there's a lot of accountability and a lot of pouring into me. And then then after that, when I started feeling like God was calling me to plant, to plant a church, I didn't I wasn't thinking about doing a campus. I wanted to plant a church. I wanted to go and plant a church. And then Lon Allison, who's on staff at, uh, at Wheaton Bible Church, who I'm meeting with later today, he came in and said, he's like, hey, so you want to plant a church? Why don't you start a campus with us? And I said, no, I don't think that's what God's calling me to do. And he's like, why? I'm like, well, one, because I want to preach. Mm. You're probably going to do video and I'm not your guy. If that's, you know, not, not, that's some, for some people, that's great, but that's not me, you know? And then I, obviously the other thing was, I don't want to recreate the culture of Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, I'm like, not that the, that culture is bad. I just think that where I want to go and what I want to do is different. Yeah. You can't plant Wheaton Bible culture in Charlotte. Right. You that's, can't. They're two totally different work. cultures. It yeah. wouldn't work. And so he then, during that season, just started meeting with me weekly. And we've been meeting weekly since then. And this is a guy who's planted two, three churches in his past and, God's just using mightily in, 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 in his past. And so he just sat down with me and said, listen, I see this in you. I think that God has really gifted you and, and given you. He, he would come and hear me preach when I would preach at IDP. And then we would meet after. He would give me feedback on how he thought the sermon went. That's awesome. And so this is for anyone who ever wants to be mentored by anybody. If you ever want to be mentored by anybody, don't ask them to mentor you. Because that's really, that's really like <laughs> scary. Just say, hey, can I get together with you and just ask you questions about life? You know what I mean? And that's what essentially what mentoring is. Because sometimes people will freak out and be like, no, I don't have time for that. You know? And uh, actually, I asked Rabu, can you mentor me? He's like, no, I don't have time, man. Mm-hmm. But he's mentoring me. Because every time we get together, yep. I have a list of questions that I ask him. I'm yep. like, how do you do your devotion? Yeah. How do you lead your wife? Yep. How do you prepare a sermon? The higher level of uh, leadership, the 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 less it's true the less time they have yeah. to meet with people one on one but what they here's a psychological thing with with high capacity high level leaders is that they always have time to meet with you once right 
here's the deal. You don't get to the end of your first meeting and say, can we set up another one? No, you wait a week or two and you say, hey, I was wondering if I could get together and ask you some more questions. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a little psychological narcissism that mm-hmm. like, and I don't even mean this sinfully. Like, right, I don't right, mean right, that right, at all. Right, like right, right. when you are leading a lot of people, you have a lot of experience mm-hmm. and most people don't want to know it. Right. So when somebody says like, hey, I'd like to ask you questions about how you do this. Yes. If you're really specific, yes. every leader loves the process and yep. loves to share because as we share, it helps us clarify mm-hmm. what's important mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. So it's actually every leader intuitively knows, A, I like sharing the information mm-hmm. if people are interested mm-hmm. because it's good for you, but it's also really sharpening for That's me. That's so true, man. So like if you go to a guy and you're like, can we meet every month? He'll be like, Ooh, yep, you know, yep, but if yep. you just, you actually could meet with him every month mm-hmm. or every two months. If you just pace it out and you give it a little bit of time and then you always got to ask very specific, I'd love to talk about this. Could Mm -hmm. we get together and talk about this thing? And then you can sabotage the meeting with all the other questions you have. And that's, that's great. But that's just a little tip for people who want to get together with like high level leaders and uh, the larger the church, the more staff they have, the more demand there is on them. And, um, and then sometimes all you have to do is say, can I have an hour? And if they're at all interested, they'll let it go an hour and a half, you know, um, if it's beneficial, you know, but that's, there's also another avenue, which is they get asked by a ton of people to get together. Exactly. Right. So they have to draw boundaries and say, just for the sheer shepherding of my stewardship, of my own gifts, Mm -hmm. I have to, Mm -hmm. I have to say no. Mm -hmm. So just as a little tip for people who want to meet with high level leaders. That's so good. You know? And so, th- so those guys have been mentoring me. They don't even know they're mentoring me because yep. I just, I, I, especially Rob, the senior pastor of We Bible, I don't think he even has ever heard a word from me about how things are going at Tribal. Because every mm-hmm. time I'm with him, he wants to report, but I don't have time to give a report. Yeah. I'm like, let's talk about this. Yeah. What about this? I have 150 questions for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yep. so yeah, that's how yeah. I've handled it. And that's how they poured into me. And that time with Lana has been invaluable. Being with someone who, I'm 30 and he's in his 60s. Being with someone who is twice my age, I like. There's a weird thing that I've learned being under someone like that. On the one hand, life is really, really long, mm-hmm. but on the on the other hand, life is really, really short. Yep. And I think so often young guys they swing from one extreme to the other. Mm. Like life is really long, so let me make let me only worry about what what's going to happen at 80. And then we swing back to the no, life is really short. And when you're with someone who's been doing it for as long as he has, you realize they're both true at the same time. And I have to live in light of both of those things. I have to live in light of the fact that I got to get a sermon ready for Sunday, but that I still want to be a pastor when I'm 60. You know yeah. what I mean? I want to live. I want to do the long. So it's that that double, that those two realities are. Yeah. And, and, I, and you can only get that with someone who's older than you. So let's use Matt Cameron as an example, because yeah. A, Matt's a great guy. He's lighthearted. He is, has no issues probably right. with us talking about him at, at all. all. Yeah, yeah. Because for the most part, we'll just say good things. Right. For the most part. For the most part. Yeah, like he probably that. loves that we're talking about. I know, let's right. be honest. Yeah. So, uh, when, uh, so one, one of the things that Matt at Village, nobody could do at Village would, would replace his mom and dad, Mike and Robin, who mm-hmm. are awesome. Their parenting was so intentional. They were more intentional than most parents I know. Mm-hmm. I have a ton of respect for each of them. And so it was interesting because when I came alongside of Matt and two other dudes to mentor them, that was, he was in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no intention of, of developing Matt, it, replacing anything that his dad could, could do for him because mm-hmm. his dad did a great job. Um, and no dad or mom is perfect and they know that, but like by and large, Matt is an amazing you know, young man who has um, a ton of gifts because of what his mom and dad provided for him. So, so that being said though, but there were some unique things that a, a pastor could do because it was interesting with Matt. Like he was such a, um, 
a dangerous kid. Mm. He was either going to do great good or great harm. Mm. And his parents knew that. Everybody knew that. You know, mm. like he's either going to be great or not. Mm. <laughs> and uh, because every room he went into, he controlled it, mm. you know. And so we thought we could really like tap into this and harness this. But what's interesting is like, so we basically had like three ingredients for leadership development. Um, mm. And number one is time. You hit the nail on the head. Number two is risk. And number mm. three is evaluation. Mm. And so uh, basically you give them jobs that are even sometimes bigger than themselves. But mm. if it's a little bit bigger than themselves, it can't be something that's going to tank other people, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so we would let them teach. We'd let them plan an event. You know, there are things that were more inconsequential in terms of the soul of another mm -hmm, human, you know, mm -hmm. the stuff he was going to teach, he'd, we'd help him develop it. And so like, and then we would evaluate. And so we found is that like this paradigm with a seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade boy, right. Who turns into a man, like, we just kept giving him bigger things to do mm -hmm. and harder things mm -hmm. to do. And he would eventually just by, I think, 10th or 11th grade, started coming up with his own hard things mm -hmm. to do, you know, because mm -hmm. his confidence was growing. But like the reality of time, um, if we just gave him hard things to do, but didn't give him the time, mm -hmm. um, that would not have done his soul mm -hmm. really any good. Mm -hmm. um, and if we didn't teach him how to evaluate, evaluate himself, evaluate other people, evaluate events and evaluate in a team context, um, a part of our village church culture would never have been, I think, upheld, which is mm -hmm. high value. We evaluate everything mm -hmm. all the time. So, um, but it's interesting as we get to adults, it's kind of the same thing. It's time. Uh, it's ask him to do things that are hard, mm. um, but that are on mission for Matt. It was always music and pastoral oriented, mm. you know, and for other people, it's teaching oriented or it's leadership oriented, you know, like you find their niche that they want to grow in. Um, uh, for some people it's communication. I mean, you go all over the board of this mm -hmm. stuff and then you evaluate. And, uh, if it was something that's like recorded, we'd make them listen to it and write mm. notes and we put them on a team and make mm. them listen to it, you know? Mm. And, but the challenge is, is that there's gotta be someone who's a little farther ahead Yep. And that person has to have a vision for the person who's going to grow. Uh, I think I found myself in a lot of positions in life being the only one who had a vision for myself. Mm. And I had to kind of be my own, like, I got to go figure this mm -hmm, out. Mm -hmm. And the Lord is gracious because I didn't know how to get leaders to help me mm. so much. So he would bring men around me in my mm. life. Mm. Um, but uh, there are a lot of people who, it really makes me sad because there's so much capacity and potential and nobody has a vision for them. Mm. And so like on our staff, like one of the things that I have a very clear picture in my head is I have a vision of what could be with every one of our staff. We got two guys for sure. They're going to be senior pastors one day. Mm. And mm. so like I tell them that I'm like, I have a vision for you of what you could be if you walk down this path. And, mm. um, but it's one of the most powerful things. The first time anybody ever had a vision for me in ministry was uh, I was 18 years old. And uh, this guy, Brian Myers basically said, uh, Hey, I want you to lead a small group of 10 sophomore guys with me. Now, uh, he had a vision for what I could do. He saw that I had influence. He saw mm. that I love God, but he also saw that I had zero skills and bad mm. character. Mm. So he spent an entire year with me developing character and mm. slowly developing skills, but mm. he had a vision for me that was bigger than I'd ever had for myself. Mm. It's powerful when somebody comes to you and says, you could be. Yeah, and, amen. And everything in your soul, if it's a God thing, if, yeah. it's, like a, if it's like a quasi-prophetic word, you like you just... I'm ooh, telling you, man. Yeah. One of the books that I've read on this, uh, and it's not a book on leadership development, but Exponential by Dave mm -hmm. Ferguson. Yeah. Uh, he talks about I, the I, C, and U conversation. Mm -hmm. It's and this is, He's like the four most important letters in the alphabet. Mm. The letter I, the letter C, the letter U. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and you, yeah. so he's like, we have those conversations all the time at, 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 uh, at our church. And so I've used that. And it's funny because I always thought growing up that a leader was someone who told people what to do. But I, <laughs> but I, but actually I think it was John so Maxwell. true. Right? right. Yeah. And I think John Maxwell said, you could tell who the leader in the room is by who's doing the encouraging. Yeah. Oh, wow. The person who does the encouraging, the encouraging in a relationship yeah. is the person who is not thinking about themselves mm. and is thinking about the other person. Yep. And so that to me has been something that 
I have done over the years. And man, seeing someone, I remember one my 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 first pastor, who was one of the people who was at my my party when when I had a, a, all the leaders who had influenced me on at my party. He said to me, he's like, well, he he heard me preach, and he said one time he said, well done, good and faithful servant, and. That little statement, I don't know why, like it meant the world to me. And then one time he said, my prayer for you is that God will never put you in a place where your gifting has gotten you there, but your character hasn't caught up yet. Totally. That your character would always be in line with the stage that God puts you in. Mm. He's like, because your gifting is going to put you on stages that I know are going to be wonderful, but is your character going to be caught up? He's like, so my prayer is that God never speeds that process up. Yep. And man, that statement— I was like, really? You think I have that? You know, like yeah. just hey, just hear having him say that, man, mm-hmm. that'll make you go for years. You that, could run on that. That's the life of King Saul, by the way. King Saul got put into a, a position. Mm. He was called to something by the nation that his character couldn't sustain. Oof. And he buckled under the weight of mm. his own fear. You find him hiding at one place mm. when he was supposed to be in front of people leading. Mm. And at so every point good. he just got exposed. And when we talk about leadership development, when you ask somebody to take a risk, you got to be aware of the we'll just say the weight of the risk Mm -hmm. and the potential fallout of souls. Mm. So to put somebody over an event has a very different fallout than to put somebody Mm -hmm. over a leadership position of a major ministry, right? We don't want to create Saul's. We want to create David's. People who might be younger, they may not meet all the expectations culturally, but their character is able to sustain the Mm -hmm. weight of the calling. And that's where age, honestly, sometimes go figure. David is ready to be the king of Israel in his late 20s or 30 Mm -hmm. 30 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, Saul um, is 60 and he can't handle the weight because of his, you know what I mean? It's, it just, it doesn't always make sense, but that's where we got to be really, I think, attuned to people's character. Amen. And yeah. Amen. That's very few men get the opportunity that you have gotten to be a campus pastor, to have this level of influence, to open up God's word. Most guys got to wait until, you know, their late thirties or forties mm-hmm. to be able to get that position. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a really cool opportunity. I'm excited for you. It's very, very cool. So I want to invite you to come back tomorrow. Okay. Here's the question. How do you struggle with idolatry? Mm. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) I'll see you tomorrow.